That's our new series, The Word, Finding Light for Your Path. This morning, as we look at Mark chapter 2, I want to ask you, you know, we're used to looking to the Scriptures or we're promised comfort and peace in Scriptures. We, uh, we look to the Word often for what we want. But are you willing, am I willing, to look to the Word for what we need? Are we really... Are we really ready for the posture that puts us under the Word, under the authority of the Word? We want it to speak to us in a, an inspirational way, in a comforting way, in a peaceful way. We want what we want when we want it, don't we? I've noticed that about myself. I want what I want when I want it. But am I willing to put myself in the position to find out what I really, really need. Let's explore that as we look at Mark chapter 2. Turn with me now as we read Mark chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. You'll see it on the screens, but I, again, I encourage you to bring your own scriptures and, and make little jots and notes and maybe even a highlight or two as we go through the series. Hear God's word this morning. And he, Jesus, returned to Capernaum. After some days, it was reported that he was at home, and many were gathered together so that there was no more room, not even at the door. And he was preaching the word to them. And they came, bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts, Why does this man speak like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that they thus questioned within themselves, said to them, Why do you question these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, Your sins are forgiven? Or to say, Rise, take up your bed, and walk. But that you may know, that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And he rose and immediately picked up his bed and went out before them all, so that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, we never saw anything like this. May God bless us through this, his holy word. Let's pray. Father, bless us now through your word, not only within our minds that we may know and understand what it means, but into our hearts that we may receive it and our lives that we may live it. In Jesus' name, amen. Let me tell you four words that will keep you from getting what you really Need. If I could just. Now you fill in the blank. 
If I could just get that position on the team or in the company, if I could just find that special someone, if I could just solve that problem, then, then I'll have what I want, I'll have what I need, I'll be in the position to be able to be at peace, I'll, I'll have a great life, if I could just. These are four words that keep us from trusting God, from growing closer to Him, and trusting Him for what we really need. We're in an age where we are our own authority. It's one of the greatest influences of our time, that you are your own authority, that you know what is best, that what you feel on the inside needs to be, it needs to be the great uh, driving force of your life, that whatever it is that you want, you go and get. Now, I'm not saying that you don't go for it. I'm not saying that Christianity says that you have to sort of walk timidly and on eggshells down some sort of prescribed path. But I'm saying this, that when we decide at age, you know, I, I was this 20-year-old, by the way. At age 20, I know exactly what life is all about. I know what I want, and I'm going to go get it. Before, before your brain even stops growing, do we know? Have we got it all concluded? Have we got it all settled? Have you been that person? Now, where, where do midlife crises come from? They come from... The idea that somehow we know best, that we are our own authority. I think we, we can go for it, but what happens, what happens when life goes splat? What happens when things don't work out? What happens when, you know, for example, somebody like Johnny Erickson Tata, her legs never, never start working. What happens when somebody like Helen Keller, who... Who, who, who might say to herself, if I could just see, then life will be okay. And yet here are two women who have been some of the most inspirational, have written some of the most inspirational writings in the last century. If I could just doesn't always get you where you need to go. Now, but we don't want to be under somebody else's authority. We want what we want when we want it. And we, we think that an authentic life, we think that a fulfilling life has to come from the inside of us, that we've got to be the author, that we have to be the authority. Adu Huxley, who was a you know, big thing, a lot of you probably read some of his books in, in college, he said this, I had motives for not wanting the world to have meaning, like an objective meaning, an authoritative meaning. I, want, I had motives for not wanting that, for not wanting that. And so I assumed the world had no meaning. And then he admits this. The philosopher who finds no meaning in the world wants to prove there is no valid reason why he personally should not do whatever he wants to do. <laughs> now, there's an, there's an intellectual, egg-headed, big thinker for you. This is the heart and desire of Adu Huxley's philosophy. I want what I want when I want it. You know, sometimes our problem is that we want two plus two not to equal four, right? We want something different from what the cards have dealt us from what 
the circumstances seem to be. We want something different, and we keep praying for that thing. But you can't get through the day without trusting a greater authority than what you want. You can't go a day without it. You can't go a day. I mean, you don't really know what's in Advil or ibuprofen, how it works, but you take it. You, you, you've never had breakfast with Abraham Lincoln, but you, you believe he was the 16th president. You know that. You don't question it. And you get on an airplane, even if you don't understand exactly how the thrust causes the lift. You can't go a day without living by some kind of authority. We need to trust the right ultimate authority because the right ultimate authority, and here's where we're going this morning, the right ultimate authority, it brings out our best, not just in the part of your life that you want, but in the whole. That's it. We're going to break that down. See, what I've done this morning, and this is what I'm just going to be, I'm just going to show you the bones here is that I want you to recognize we all, we all are conflicted about what we really want and what we really need. And we're not sometimes willing to put ourselves under God's authority. We just want him to sprinkle our lives with comfort and peace. We want spiritual sprinkles on top of a life that we've already whipped up, Right? But what the scriptures here that are saying is that under the right authority, God's interested in bringing out your very best, not just in the part, but in the whole. Let's take a look. Now, first of all, under the right authority, it doesn't put you down. It lifts you up. Being under the right authority does not squash you. It actually enlarges you to be part of something bigger. Jesus is, is in verse, verse 5, he answers an obvious question with a different answer. I mean, the obvious question is, can you make this guy walk, right? I mean, they've torn off the roof. And Jesus is saying to him, I think you're, not, you're, you're coming before somebody, and you need to recognize that what you're asking for is just far too small. Now, they didn't think of that at the time. I mean, you know, how embarrassing would that be? It's like you've torn off this guy's roof. You're lowering this guy down. I imagine there were some elbows thrown. Like, I thought you, got, you said this guy could do You've seen this guy do this before, right? You know, I mean, I, I kind of imagine this conversation on top of the roof. They're lowering this guy down, and he's saying, your sins are forgiven. They're going, oh, man, this is really embarrassing. But Jesus is bringing to the surface. He's saying, look, what you're looking for is just, far too small. You've come before somebody who can give you unconditional worth. Whether your legs start working again or not, you're coming before somebody who can speak the worth of your life unconditionally without circumstances changing for you to find the great value of your life. You know, it's like, it's like this story about a, a boy with Down syndrome who was watching his older brother play from the stands. He was watching his older brother play baseball. He always wanted to play baseball. And he, he watched them in their uniforms and he watched them throwing and catching. And he watched them and he watched them. 
And one day, the coach said, I want you to join the team. And the little boy was sitting at home when his dad brought home his baseball uniform, opened it up, put it, you know, wrapped it, had him open it up. It's a big, big moment for him. And the boy said, he looked at that uniform, he looked at his father and said, now, now I can be a real boy. And the father said, honest son, you've always been a real boy. That's a true story. And a father who knows how to speak with authority. The worth and value of the life of a child. How much do our kids need to be in the position where they are hearing with authority your confidence in them, your sense of their worth to speak that word with authority. See, this is what Jesus wants for us. This is what, this is what being under God's authority does for us, whether circumstances change or not. God wants you to have an unconditional sense of your worth to him. Phillips Brooks puts it this way. He says, and to be under authority is, is to be humble. I mean, we have to humble ourselves. We have to say, maybe I don't know exactly what I really need. And maybe my wants, maybe, maybe those four words, if I could just, are getting in the way of my very best. There's a certain humility in that. And here's how Phillips Brooks puts it. He says, the true way to be humble is not to stoop until you're smaller than yourself, but to stand at your real height against a higher nature that shall show you what the real smallness of your greatness is. It's to stand, to stand against a higher nature. You know, when you step out under the stars you, or you step beside the shadow and you're in the shadow of the mountain, boy, you feel small at first, but then, then you realize, you, you get filled with a sense of the, of the grandeur of life. And there's something intuitive about that that says, unconditionally, your life is bigger <laughs> than your ask. Your value and worth is above the circumstances. Your God's love for you is unconditional. This is what he's saying. He wants to bring out the best. To be under authority is not to be smaller than you are. It's not to be put down, but to be boosted up, to be part of a bigger vision for your life. That's verse five. And so he's not talking about just the part of us, though. So but this is what we, we tend to do. We tend to trust our own emotions, right? I mean, our emotions are powerful. Our desires are powerful. Our wants speak constantly to us. But they're just a part. They're just a part. And Jesus is trying to give us a bigger vision. He's trying to speak into the situation to illustrate for time and eternity that God isn't just about the parts. That trusting in him isn't about just the part of life or the season of life that you're in. Not just about the part. So that you do not settle for less than what he wants for you. Verse nine, he asks a question. It's powerful. 
It's a very interesting rhetorical question. It's been puzzling people for centuries. Which is easier to say? Get up and walk or your sins are forgiven. What do you think? Which is easier to say? (laughs) What's easier to say? Hey, son, your sins are forgiven. Or get up and walk. Well, it depends who's saying it. Which is easier to say? How did, how did all that we know, all the universe come into being? God spoke it into being. And so if, if, if Jesus is just saying to the man, get up and walk, then he's just speaking to something physical. He's speaking to the symptoms of a condition of human sin, of, of a broken world. He's just speaking order back into chaos. But if he's gonna say, your sins are forgiven, What does it take for God himself, the one who spoke all things into creation, what does it take for God to say and to be true to his word, your sins are forgiven? What does it take? It takes the cross. And so right from the very beginning of the gospel of Mark, Jesus is anticipating the judgment that is necessary to speak life back into humanity that that judgment wouldn't be upon us, but upon himself, which is easier to say. Do you see how thick the irony is in that question? Which is easier to say? Get up and walk, or your sins are free. For the guys on the roof, it's like, oh, I hope this is gonna work out, right? <laughs> I mean, we've just torn this, this roof to shreds, right? Your sins are forgiven. Isn't he getting them to consider what they really need on the whole as opposed to what they want in that season, in that moment. And see, he's speaking to two different groups, right? He's speaking to a group of people that have sought him out, that, that have aimed their faith at him, at Christ. But he's also speaking to another group of people who are saying, look, we just want a little help, Okay. Both groups want a little help. One wants help with their legs. The other group wants help with the law, the laws. One group wants help walking with, with, with their friend walking. The other, uh, the other wants help walking in the law, walking according to the law. Who am I talking about? I'm talking about the Pharisees. Pharisees are right when they say, who can forgive sins but God alone, right? And what they want, what they're looking for The part, not the whole, is, Lord, just give me a little bit of help. And isn't that what we want on Sunday sometimes? It's like, give me a little bit of something to help me get back on the horse and and ride it better. Give me just a little help, all right? Just let's go to the Word and give me a little boost. Give me a little help. Give me a, a little assistance here with my life, right? Centered on me. And 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 this is this is the the great tragedy of our age. We're changing laws in our country so that people can be curved in on themselves. That's the way that Luther put it. Incurvata se means to be curved in on yourself. And, and I have the same reaction you have. When we change laws that allow people to just do whatever they want, whenever they want, however they want, writing their own rules, being their own authority, I have the same same reaction you do. I, I get offended by it. I think this is not good for us. 
But Jesus is looking at and he's saying at the same time, he's looking with a sense of compassion. This is not good for you, he's saying. Because we all have this same kind of problem. We just want a little bit of help with God from God. This is how, this is how somebody put it, sort of poetically. He says this. He says, I'd like to buy $3 worth of God, please. Not enough to explode my soul or disturb my sleep, but just enough to equal a warm cup of milk or a snooze in the sunshine. I don't want enough of God to make me love my enemy or pick beets with a migrant. I want ecstasy, not transformation. I want the warmth of the womb, not the new birth. I want a pound of the eternal in a paper sack. I'd like to buy $3 worth of God, please. They've torn off the roof with great expectations that they're going to get the part fixed. And Jesus is saying, I want more for you than that. I don't want you to settle. And Pharisees, I don't want you to settle for just a little bit of help, doing better to obey, doing better, uh, just behaving more. I'm going to speak to your very condition, your human condition, not just a part. See, he's here to bring out the best, the best under his authority, not to squash, to elevate, not just the part, but the whole, the whole. Authority brings out the best in the whole person. This is what this passage is really all about. You look at verse 11, he says, go ahead, pick up your, pick it, rise, pick up your mat and go home. Why does he say that? Why does he go ahead and, and fulfill the physical part of this if the real big problem has already been solved? If he said your sins are forgiven, if he said, look, your faith has healed you, well, because he wants to demonstrate that he does have the authority to forgive sins. He is the authority that can speak to your deepest needs. So he demonstrates that. He demonstrates it to all these eyewitnesses. He demonstrates it in such a way that lines up with the scriptures as well. Read earlier, I read Daniel Chapter 7, verses 13 and 14, it talks about the Son of Man. You know, Jesus calls himself the Son of Man more than anything else he refers to himself. Any other way he refers to himself, that's his favorite title for himself, the Son of Man, the Son of Man, the Son of Man. 83 times in the New Testament, he calls himself the Son of Man. What's he referring to? What's he saying? He's in a different category. It's a strange category. It's kind of a mysterious category. You're looking back at the, at, uh, at, at the book of Daniel and you see there's a lot of mystery here. There's a lot of imagery that's, that's hard to pin down and that's the point. That Jesus isn't in a category. He's not an angel. He's not just a man. He's not God just to blow us away. He's God in flesh equal to our need. Isn't it powerful to see all of these different terms and images. The more you peel them back, the more you see them coming together around the same thing, the same narrative. It's the principles of scripture that we put ourselves under, but it's also the personality behind it. What are you putting in your tank? What are you, what, what authority, what's informing you in terms of what you really want and need? What's going in there daily? You know, I think of it, when I think of like what we're, what, what's fueling our lives, I think of this story of this, um, this nun who was uh, 
she ran out of gas. She, was, she worked for a preschool. And she, uh, she was wearing her habit, you know, so she, I, I easily identified as a nun. But she, she, she was on the side of the road, but nobody was helping her. And it was a busy crowd of things. Everybody's sort of going by and doing their business sort of a downtown area. And she remembered, oh, you know, I've got one of those porta potties in the back, you know. So, for, you know, because she worked for a preschool, right? And uh, yeah, I actually said porta potty, that's right. Uh, one of those little kitty porta potties. So she goes to the gas station, which was right nearby, and she fills that thing up with gasoline. She takes that and goes back to her, her van, and she starts sort of pouring the corner of it. She's pour, pouring that gas into and. There's a group of, of Buddhists, you know, on the corner there. They were all in, in uh, you know, orange garb, you know, the Hare Krishna type, you know, just sort of they're standing there. And one of them calls out and says, you know what? We don't, uh, we don't subscribe to your religion, but we really admire your faith, right? Yeah. Your faith in whatever's in that porta potty to run your van. Okay, that's for the rest of you who didn't get the joke. What are you putting in your time? I mean, it's, it's a goofy example. Maybe a little too vivid. But there's a serious point. Why did he say your faith has healed you? It wasn't because of the nature of the faith. It was because of the object of the faith. That he was putting himself under the authority of Jesus Christ. Of the Son of Man of the one who was promised, of the one who doesn't fit any categories, of the one who is both identified with your common struggle and yet equal to your need. You see, it's like if you have a really strong faith in a really weak rope, that's not good. But even a weak faith in a strong rope will save you. If you're on the side of a cliff, and you're going to rappel down, and you have great faith in that rope, but it's not a strong rope, your faith will not save you. But if you have a timid faith in a strong rope, you'll make it to the bottom. And Jesus is pointing out the fact that their faith is in the right authority, you see? And when we put ourselves under that authority, it's like we're daily bringing the right kind of fuel into the day, into your sensibilities, to be able to become more discerning about your wants versus your needs. So what's going in your tank every day? What's informing you? What's informing your wants and your needs? What's, what's guiding you? Are you approaching the word not just for the feeling that you want to have, the fuzzies or the fixes, but are you approaching the word to submit to it, to be under it in such a way that you are lifted to new heights? Let's pray together. Holy God, help us to trust that you've sent us a rope that will hold. And God, give us the discipline, the habit-forming discipline to return to it again and again, even when it doesn't 
scratch right where we're itching, even when it doesn't bring us in the moment exactly what we need, even when we get confused about it, and even when, it, even when it's, uh, it, it, it's perplexing and, and just sort of, even when it feels like something that doesn't even connect with what we're dealing with in the moment. Lord, make the word our fuel. Be the author and perfecter of our faith, the author, the authority of our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.